Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil. This is the show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, and we get to talk about everything in between. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, whatever platform you're listening on, you know exactly what to do. Like and subscribe on YouTube, five-star review on Apple, and subscribe, five-star review, and subscribe on Spotify. But more importantly, my incredible guest today, I have Viswant Korapati. We're going to go with V, just to make everyone's life a little easier. Uh, but V is the Director of Partnerships over at Lasso. He's the host of the Pilot Boys podcast, and he is an all-around brand builder and investor. V, how you doing today, man? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Pleasure is all mine. Uh, if Lasso rings a bell to anybody, we had Partha on. He is the CEO, the founder, the the uh, the brains, most of the brains, let's say, behind Lasso and what they're doing. So excited to get to that. But V has such an incredible background. I'm very grateful to have him on the show. Get to talk to him everything about what he's done in his career, including Lasso and the podcast, of course. But V, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is... Why do you love sports so much? Oh, this is a this is a, a a deep question for me, right? Because I grew up as a first generation American in in a small town here in uh, in Ohio. Um, that's where I'm from, um, and quite frankly, my upbringing sports was kind of my outlet or an escape. Um, I, I fell in love very early. Sports culture in Ohio is very, very big, as you probably know. Um, as as an Ohio State fan and a Cleveland Browns fan, uh, and I basically that's how I socialize. That's how I started to build friendships is by playing sports, playing football um, with the kids in the neighborhood, uh, playing baseball with the kids in the neighborhood, playing basketball with the kids in the neighborhood. And it was a way in which I really found a way to start fitting in. And then also, um, it was kind of one of the few things that I was really allowed to do. I grew up in a pretty strict household, but I was allowed to watch football games on the weekends. Uh, and so therefore that's really what I tapped into. And, you know, growing up, I think I grew up in a great era of sports. Um, you know, very early on, became a huge fan of Bo Jackson, a huge fan of Michael Jordan. Um, and also the Browns teams back then were just very lovable and fun to watch, uh, a little less so in the current current times. But <laughs> so nonetheless, it was um, it was just something that I got into and it just was something that was my outlet it, it gave me joy, right? I would read the, the, I would wait for the sports section in the newspaper. I'd pull it out and I'd read it, make sure everything that I knew everything that was going on. I would read the box scores. I know this is a story that many people tell, um, but for me, it was just something that I, 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 I tapped into early and just fell in love with. Yeah, and a lot of people do have a similar story, right? That, right? Yeah. Like it's, I grew up at a good time to watch. Yeah, you, you grew up in Ohio. Ohio State's been good for, I don't know, my whole life. So that's got to be most of yours, right? Yeah. Um, but you, you grew up getting the, the opportunity to watch Michael Jordan, which is just incredible. But more importantly, as you said, sports gave you an outlet and an opportunity to fit in. Yep. It gave you somewhere to connect with others. It's the easiest thing in the world. I bring it up on the show all the time. If I walk into a bar anywhere on planet Earth and I see someone with a Mets jersey on, they're my first friend. Like, that's yep. the easiest thing in the world. I'm going to walk over to that guy or girl and say, hey, why are you a Mets fan? And what are you doing here? Right? I don't care where I am. It's one thing if you're in like the New York, New Jersey area, but if I'm yeah. anywhere else in the world, that's a conversation. It's always so the, the, the community, the built in community, right? Playing with, you know, your friends, but also that community that comes from sports teams. There's really, there's very few things on planet earth that are like that. No, there really isn't. And, and, and you tapped, you, you said the perfect word community, um, the sense of belonging and knowing that, Hey, there's something that ties us. There's a connection that we have um, that we can speak to is is very valuable. And even in a larger and macro level, regardless, if you are a fan of a specific sport, you know, even if, if, if you're a Cowboys fan and you see an Eagles fan, you might talk a little shit to them. You know, like those type of things, you know, and that type of bond, whether it's like with the community that you're a part of, your rivals. Um, there's just something special there that I don't think uh, you get in any other way. One thing I can say about Ohio State, I actually grew up and went to school there, is that literally everywhere that I've gone in the world, literally every country that I've been, every place that I've been, I have seen somebody with an Ohio State hat, an Ohio State t-shirt, 
um, something somewhere to let me know that, hey, this community is global. It's not just local. Um, and like you said, it's an immediate conversation starter, you know, so maybe even whistling the uh, the, the uh, that old tune, right? The we, we, we have our, our thing where we say OH and the other needs to respond with IO. That's our that's our cat call right there. There you go, <laughs> man. And yeah, I'm sure that works again anywhere on planet Earth, which is yes. pretty cool. And there's really nothing like that, which I think is awesome. So yeah. one thing one thing, right, like every as you said, a lot of people have this type of story. Yeah. But not a lot of people get into working in sports. Everybody on this podcast pretty much does. But yeah. a lot of people have that story but don't end up working in sports. What was it about the industry? What was it about the opportunity that led you to saying, I want to make money dealing with this whole industry? <laughs> well, uh, the truth is that the initial uh, play was not money, thankfully. Uh, and and that, that I think that's kind of helped me stay sane in this world. Uh, but... Essentially, I grew up, I played basketball in high school. Um, obviously, wasn't necessarily good enough. I thought I was good enough, but wasn't necessarily good enough to go to the next level uh, with with the sport. But uh, through that process, I started to see, like I started to like, I read all the books. I, I saw, I started to kind of see, like obviously my, being a Michael Jordan fan, the Be Like Mike campaigns, all the different campaigns, the Space Jam movies, you started to see oh, wow, this is more than just these guys playing sports, you know. And then when I went to college, um, I, I chose specifically to go to Ohio State. Um, I really got a bird's eye view of just what the business was at that time. It was supposed to still be uh, amateur sport, right? <laughs> college sports are supposed to be amateur. But Who was there? Who, who was at Ohio State? Some names that we might know so we I mean, can put a kind of a timeline on this. It was, uh, you know, the coach was John Cooper. Um, some of the bigger names that were there were Michael, Michael Jenkins, Antonio Holmes, um, you know, Maurice Claret was there at the end, uh, when I was there, the infamous Maurice Claret. Um, but it was actually an interesting time because we were not winning at the rate that we are winning now, even against, uh, against Michigan. That started in my final year when, um, when, uh, Jim Trestle came in but essentially we were a team that was loaded with NFL talent that never got to like the national championship because we always lost we actually always lost to Michigan uh, or Michigan State um and we'd play in like the the the, the second tier bowls right um but what i saw was that at a machine like that it was still one of the largest football factories in the country you really saw the power of the business i started to to to, to to look at these things and see there are a hundred thousand people paying to go to this game every Saturday, you know, and my best friend um, played football on the team. So I also started to build real relationships. They, they used to, uh, when I used to go out with the guys, they'd say I was the kicker to help get me in. Uh, Cause with my frame, I didn't look like much of a football player, uh, but I was able to kind of see their world, right. And see the world and how they were treated how the community treated them, how the boosters treated them, um, and 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 started to see that hey, there's a whole business. You know, they'd come back from the bowl game with playstations and all kinds of gear, and you know, and you you saw that yeah, these guys were playing football and were student athletes just like me. They went to class like me, but they were living totally different lives, and the environment was completely different. And there's this whole economy around it. There are specific stores that just sold Ohio State merchandise only that were making tons of money. And you really saw the economy around it. And college is very unique because there's a huge economy around it. And for the most part, the people who are developing the economy, it's shifted recently with NIL, obviously, um, are not able to. You'd see their jerseys being sold in the bookstore, but they wouldn't make a cent, cent off of that jersey that had their number and people were buying because it was their jersey. Um, I just started to see like, wow, there's a lot of power here. And then as I got older um, with these relationships, I started throwing some guys draft parties um, when they were leaving university and potentially going to be a first round pick. Uh, I remember the, the, the first one I did was for LaCharles Bentley. Um, it was a, a first round pick of the, the Cleveland Browns. 
Um, and through that, I perfect also, place to throw that party, right? Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> perfect place, right? Uh, and so that showed me that also people were willing to pay me and to participate and have access to the guys that I kind of just looked at as my friends. They were willing to pay for that access. Obviously, I also benefited from the access that they had by getting into bars, skipping lines, all that stuff. There's this whole ecosystem around sports and celebrity um, that I started to see and say, hey, how can I facilitate or be a part of this? Because I never really cared, cared too much about the celebrity aspect of it, but I saw that there were opportunities for these guys to capitalize off of those opportunities. And that's kind of what led me into uh, kind of my foray into kind of sports events. Yeah, that's uh, the, the, the access, right? As yes. you said, you don't really care about the fame, but there's a lot of people around athletes who are not famous, but they have the utmost access because they have the ear of the athlete, right? And yeah. that's that's where the access comes from, right? Um, World Wide West. Nobody knows what that dude does, I don't think, right? Nobody but knows. we know that he is... He is very important in just the NBA. Like you could kind of just leave it at that, right? Yeah. And it's just those types of people. Now that's obviously an outlier, but it's those types of people, V, that I think like if you're comfortable, you don't have the ego to be able to stay behind the scenes, you can have probably the most to gain and the least to lose. And I think that's a really important way of looking at it because so many people just want they want to be the agent. They want to send the eight you know, they want to send Adam Schefter or, or Woj or or Shams the, the tweet that says, hey, this is how much the person signed for. This is the giant marketing deal. But as you said, you had this opportunity to meet, meet and have the ear of these athletes. Where did the idea of draft parties come from or where did the idea of events come from that you were like, hey, this is something that I either A, like doing or B, I have a skill set to execute on that can make them money, me money, and, and potentially make some partners money as well? Well, I had started to develop a, a skill set with you know, one of my long-term business partners, that was kind of a thing that we got known for in college for throwing some of the best parties, right? And I wish of, I went to Ohio State, <laughs> man. That sounds awesome. Some of the best house parties. And then we, we maneuvered into the relationships with clubs and bars because we would always see that the bar owners, when we'd go there, they, you know, they'd, they'd let us in. They'd announce the guys were there. So able to kind of see the, the value there. And then it was just like okay, one of our friends is going to the draft. Let's throw a draft party for him. Let's see what we can do. We, we've done it, did it. The event went really, really well. Um, and so that's when we started to realize, okay, there's more, there's more here um, to be done. And quite frankly, I didn't understand what that would lead to and all the opportunities that would lead to at that time. But the thing is that it was a first tap into, hey, there's some – there's some power to be gained here by being the person that orchestrates an event um, and is kind of the person that you need to speak to, whether to have access, to be a part of. That access turned into power, I would say, and understanding how to have the power to also be the person that an athlete would be comfortable enough saying, hey, if I do this with them, I'm going to be guaranteed a good time. I'm going to be guaranteed that I'm safe and everything that comes into like trusting and trusting someone with your name, image, and likeness also to make sure like we didn't think about all these things, but anything could have happened. We didn't think about event insurance back then, but now that's something that you think you have to think about. Um, and, you know, so it just started me down a path of understanding that there was power and access and there was also power in relationships. Um, and that's, that's really what, what drove it initially. I think it's really important though, that you went down that path, right? Like you said yes to that path. You, yeah. you had the idea. You could have easily just thrown one event and been like, that was cool. That was fun. But you realize like there are so many opportunities and so much access and so many things that could be gained from doing this, that you yeah. continue to go down that path. Now, what are some of those things that you've eventually ventured off into or you know after throwing some really sweet parties where where does that where does that path continue down and where does that lead you well the path leads to bigger first it led to bigger events right like in each market um i moved to i spent time in new york 
it was a great way to build a network, right? When you have one relationship, you know how to then utilize that ref relationship in each market uh, that you go into. And then one of my uh, good friends uh, played for the New York Giants when I was living there. Um, and through that, we had access and we started doing events, Monday night football events on their off days with them. And that's when that move happened, moved from Columbus to New York, where the network really started getting developed. Because at these events in New York, you never knew who was going to come in into the building, celebrities, and they all had to speak to you, right? You were like the entry point that determined whether someone skipped the line, whether someone got in, whether they got their section. You had to be the person to coordinate. So that forced people to, to, to have to have an interaction. And through those interactions and by throwing good events, you get context, you get business. Back then it was mostly business cards. Now we just exchange numbers uh, through our cell phones. But it's all about what you do with those contacts, con contacts. And so my degree is in marketing. Um, and so I started to see first that there were opportunities with brands and sponsors who would want to get involved with the events that we were throwing. Right. And by developing those partnerships, you know, we were able to do events with kind of cutting edge brands. And one of the first markets that they try to tap into, obviously, are athletes and celebrities, the liquor companies, you know, the vitamin waters. I've, you know, I've worked both with Diageo, with vitamin water. Um, we threw the first, Ed, back in the day, the first Ed Hardy event in New York. What's up? <laughs> that, was a, that was an interesting one. But you just realize that there's a whole ecosystem of brands who are trying to gain the access that you have. And as a middleman who had the trust, it was like we essentially were the bridge I was kind of the bridge between the athlete and the brand to make it a seamless thing. Everybody got what they wanted, right? And so that eventually started leading to um, the next phase, which was also starting to work with these guys individually to create opportunities. I never wanted to be an agent. I've been recruited by so many sports agencies. I've never wanted to kind of be the direct marketing person, but I always wanted to be kind of a facilitator, you know, always in non-exclusive cap capacity where if I created scenarios and situations for them, I'd get compensated, they'd get compensated, everybody won without the accountability or responsibility of being someone's parent because I still had other things that I was doing with my life and other goals uh, that I had because I wasn't sure that this was exactly what I was going to do full time. You know, being the son of a um, immigrant family, the, there there was significant pressure throughout this process to do something more traditionally, specifically to go become a doctor, go become a lawyer, or do something that was a little bit safer, that had more certainty to it. So I was still in the process of figuring all of this out. But then, at, this is where money comes into play is I started to make some money doing these things. Then it was like, okay, well, there might be a, a scenario here where, you know, um, this could be a career. And so when I started working with the individuals, I started see, I'd see my mind just works in a way where, you know, if you look at the, 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 the Gladwell book outliers, I always say that, that the, the connector thought always came into into play with me because I really was am able to see opportunities that make sense and how to connect the dots and make them make sense for everyone involved. And so that's when I started doing the opportunities for athletes, whether it was regional marketing deals, national marketing deals, being a facilitator for media opportunities. As they came through nat my natural network, I was kind of able to just kind of be that middleman that people called and said, hey, can you make this happen? And I'd make it happen. Um, and so, and then also by not having ever having a formalized title like agent, I also was able to maintain my relationships in an authentic manner where it was never like I was trying to be exploitative. I was just trying to create opportunities for everyone to win. And it sounds like you did a pretty damn good job at that, V. I think it's, uh, it's, it's such a cool concept, right? Like most people, again, going back to the ego, they want that agent title. Yeah, those people want that title, and it sounds like you're much above that. Where it, you're not worried about the title, you're worried about the opportunities because you understand the opportunities will enhance 
everybody, as you said, they get paid, you get paid, the brand gets what they want, now everybody's happy. There's no, yeah, fiddling around with, oh, are, are you the agent? No, uh, and it's just a lot of BS that's involved, especially around high-level athletes, especially NFL, NBA, right? These, these high, high-level athletes who've got a lot of face time, people want access to them, and you had that, and you took full advantage of it, and hopefully your parents are able to see, yeah, there, there was a little bit of money in this sports thing that you were doing, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So how... Yes. Say again? I said, yeah, they, they definitely are starting to are starting to see. And Finally, you, you bring up a great point like this whole world of sports and entertainment. It's an exploitative industry. Right. And it's all there's so much bullshit in it. There's so much shadiness in it. But by being authentic, you may not always get the biggest checks, but you will maintain your relationships. And most importantly, you'll maintain your sanity. And, you know, the, the, the Ryan Holiday book, you know, he, he wrote it, but I thought about this very, very early in my process was that ego is the enemy, you know, in, in any phase of life. And we all have to go through the process of breaking down our egos and, and understanding and having the humility that your life is really about the duty of the opportunities that are presented to you and looking at it through that lens versus one, questioning why you're there and two, you know, getting caught up in the fact that you are there. It's hard to do that, though. It is like, hard. It's super easy. Or it's super hard. I apologize to break down your ego because it's such a it's ing it's ingrained to us. Go on social media. There, you inflated your ego. Go tell yeah. someone you did something cool. There, you inflated your ego. You got a promotion. Tell everybody about it. There, you inflated your ego. How how do you deal with that? How how were you able to break that down and and kind of cast that aside almost well luckily early on I, I always say i wouldn't know how i'd be if i grew up as a child with the access to social media that the kids today have because that's ingrained in you psychologically very early on the idea that you need to generate attention that you need to get likes that you need to get generate attention for the things that you're doing on yourself that's the currency that that the market trades on today um, but for me, I, I, I really do credit the fact that I am a first generation American. My parents came over here from a completely different country. I've had to learn the culture. I was very shy. I, it took me a while to find my voice, even in this process to the point where I'm at now, where I, I feel fully comfortable with myself and my journey. Um, that humility of, hey, you know, no matter what you do, because my parents approach was go to school get an education you have to work right and like when you apply that to whatever else you're doing and you get caught up in the work I'm still not completely satisfied with where I'm at because I feel like there's there's more work to do on the journey like it's always about the next task the next process and you don't ever get caught up in the limelight of what you're doing like nobody in my family is a celebrity nobody ever really cared about that stuff so me being in this world, it's like I'm kind of a trailblazer. And so therefore, I also never got caught up because I wasn't allowed to like tap into celebrity culture growing up. It wasn't something that I cared all that much about other than the fact that I wanted to beat Michael Jack. I mean, Michael Jordan and, and Bo Jackson. I got to meet Bo Jackson, was thoroughly disappointed, by the way. <laughs> I haven't gotten to beat Michael Jordan yet. But, you know, those are those are those are the the reasons right like if you have a why and you look at life and you know my favorite book is the alchemist and if you look at this life as you are put in every single situation that you're put in for a reason and it's your job to figure out what that reason is right and that's the other part of it is really exploring your ego and exploring and reading and and understanding culture beyond what they teach you in a textbook can really give you the perspective that's necessary to operate with some humility. And I think the culture aspect of sports, right, is it's its own beast. And it's it hard is. to learn that. Like, it's really hard to learn that in a textbook because you've explained more about the inner workings of college football than I think most people ha are aware of, right? Most people are, well, they get free education. They yeah. get, you know, sweatpants and sweatshirts all the time. Why, why do they need to get paid for what they do? But you've clearly laid out, like, you could bring an athlete to a bar and that bar is going to utilize that. Hey, look who's here. Look what they're drinking. Look what they're doing. Right. And it, and that's just at a, 
I've been to Columbus. Incredible, incredible place. I am not an Ohio State fan. I actually yeah. hate Ohio State. But, like, <laughs> most, Columbus most. is awesome. Yeah, most yeah. of us do, as we should. Um, but, no, Columbus is awesome. I have a buddy that lives out in Cleveland. He used to go. He went to Ohio State, so we'd visit him. I absolutely loved it there. It's incredible. And, yeah, everywhere you go, it's, oh, hey, LeBron was at this bar last night. And that's yeah. what everyone's talking about and how, yeah. like, you know, it's it's that aspect of athletes. And, and I think college sports is even on another level when it comes to that culture of – these kids have been told right to go go with the ego aspect as well as the culture aspect these kids have been told they're the greatest thing that ever existed since they were like 12 years old so we're not surprised by the way they are when they're 18 19 you know some of them are very well behaved some are spoiled brats right and there's that culture that comes around it where if you continue to reinforce that what do you think is going to happen to their ego they're not going to be as self-aware as you, you and I, yeah. who you come from, you know, a, as you said, first-generation American. I'm second-generation American on my dad's side, so yeah. old-school Italian, so you can only imagine what yeah. that was like. And so understanding, you know, how, how to do many of the things, that was, while I'm extremely privileged and very grateful from where yes. I came from, these kids have it on a whole other level. And, and the culture that surrounds them just fosters that and continues to grow their ego and continues to do these things. So when they go fourth, fourth round in the NFL draft, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their entire lives. They just got drafted to the NFL, but it was fourth round, right? Yeah. It's just these like weird things that I can't comprehend on any level, but just it's the ego within this culture of sports, I think, is such an interesting, interesting topic. It's fascinating, the psychology of sports, because I, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. And, and, you know, you benefit. I'm a big proponent. My parents were hard on me growing up, probably too hard on me, you know? Like, nothing I did was like good enough it's like you can do better right and what kind of happens to a lot of these athletes like you said from a young age adults start acting like children right they become the adults and adults are fanboying them and like you know then you have like you said the world of agents and people that recognize their talent suddenly you know doing and saying whatever they need to do to solidify their spot and like you said we can't blame we we can't blame the results of the system that we created right and when we try to hold these athletes accountable it's like no they're products of the system and the environment that's been created it's none of their faults you know what i mean and and specifically you know you also see it i've seen it so many times family members changing once when you become the first person in your family that that generates that type of money because it's also like no other profession do they tell you this is how much money this guy makes. You know what I mean? And like everybody around you changes. The athlete themselves very rarely are the one that changes. It's everybody around them. Yeah, they change in that phase that you said when they're first recognized when they go to college and they become uh, uh, they have a level of entitlement and privilege that allows them to be disconnected from reality. That's how entitlement works at every level, right? So there is a degree of entitlement, but there's also this other side of it, which is, you know, they really are just products of what we've created and how our value system in society is messed up. Um, and, and the truth is, as long as we acknowledge the truth, you know, I don't, I used to be like this gung-ho, like, you know, this is terrible, they're athletes, the truth is, it is what it is. The world we live in is what it is. We value and people value what they value. There's a difference between, hey, this isn't the way that it should be versus the way that it actually is. And the most important and valuable thing that you can do is if you do have a value system to figure out within these worlds how to operate with those values intact. And you'll find that you, you may not get to the top of your profession but you'll find that you'll have longevity and you'll find that you'll have solid relationships and you'll find that nobody, less people are talking shit about you behind your back. And the same goes for the athlete. You know, the guys that are humble and the guys that despite everything, you know, remain humble are the guys that are people are most enamored with, that they like the most. You know, it's not going to be the guy who lets his ego get unchecked and doesn't have a support system, an agent, financial advisor, anybody around them that holds them accountable and doesn't kiss their ass. That's the most important thing you can do is try to be that person for people. It's, 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 it's pretty simple, but it's like too many people make the choice out of self-interest versus what's best. Yeah, It's also 
uh, you want this person to like you, right? It's hard if you're hard on someone, right? Each, what's one thing if your parents or, you know, someone that you look up to that's a little bit older. But if it's another student like yourself, Fee, like how did you have those conversations with these guys who are literally, literally larger than life, especially in a place like Columbus, especially if they knew they were going in the first round? How It, it had to have been hard for you, especially in the beginning, to say like, oh, no, man, like, you know, my morals and values say you shouldn't be doing this. Like, that's not an easy conversation for you to have. And that's also something an 18 or 19 year old, they don't give a shit what you think, right? Like, how were you able to navigate that aspect of it to gain their trust and and, uh, respect? Well, part of it was I was an 18, 19 year old with them, right? So we were going through the same things and- Well, I think they were going through something a little different, don't you? Oh, much different. Slightly different. But but at the end of the day, they, they definitely had a different role in society. But they were still 18, 19-year-old college kids trying to figure out what they were going to do with their lives, right? And for me, the benefit was that I was connected to them and, you know, I happened to, you know, get recognition for my intelligence, right? Like me and and my best friend, he was a a preferred walk-on who had a full academic scholarship to Ohio State. So we were like the smart guys that were around that were also, like I said, just part of the part of the group, part of the, the circle. And so, and never asked for much. I've never asked for favors. I've never asked for, I never asked any of the guys for tickets to games. Um, when I was there, like it wasn't, it wasn't a, a trans. it was never a transactional based relationship at the outset. And so through that, I was able to learn the psychology of athletes in a unique way. And so when I position myself in their lives, it's always been like, this might partially be ego, but it's also partially a value system. I never wanted, my dad taught me to never depend on anyone for anything in my life. You know what I mean? Like be self-reliant. And I think in this sports culture, the people that are around athletes, they don't understand that you have to be self-reliant as well. Although I have made money with, with athletes, I've always made money doing other things as well and that's kept me like in a space where when you're not reliant on the system and the machine you're able to build authentic relationships and i think the reality is a lot of these athletes are a lot smarter than people give them credit for by virtue of the fact that they get put into this this system of exploitation at such a young age by the time they're 20 21 22 they see the world for what it is at a much much unfortunately much faster pace than the normal person might see it and so therefore it's like you have to i think a lot of people don't give these guys credit for being as socially smart or as business savvy as as they actually are they're usually being exploited just because the system around them takes that responsibility away from them I think we are seeing that they are like we're, we're starting to see in the public eye a little bit more of their savviness, right? We're starting to see a lot more athletes get in equity of companies rather yep. than getting a hundred thousand dollar check. It's like, well, I have built up this following. Everyone knows who I am. I'll give you, you, you give me zero dollars. I'll use my, you know, my, my, uh, my following, I guess we'll call it my, my cachet, my celebrity to promote this brand and you give me equity in it. So that way I'm tied directly into this company. And we're starting to see more deals like that. I mean, you could point to Naomi Osaka. You can point to Kevin Durant. I mean, there's so many athletes. Now, obviously, LeBron's a billionaire, yeah. which is – that's a, an outlier. But I think we're starting to see that more now, though. 100%. And I think for this generation, LeBron has really shown and, you know, gotten to see him very early on in, in my days in Cleveland, you know, just the power – that he had and I give I give him credit even though it was indirect for building my network in a unique way right um, because when LeBron James was in Cleveland Ohio because this was different when I went back to Cleveland to get my MBA the fact that he was in Cleveland in small market Ohio and the entire world of media branding sports would come to Ohio come to Cleveland Ohio and typically I'd be throwing their their post-game events, you would see the money machine behind him. And he had an agent at that time, And but you started to see, you know, the the way that they maneuvered. You know, I got to talk to Maverick Carter, and I saw early on he was talking to me because he found out that I was getting my MBA a case. So we sat down, we'd have these conversations, and then lo and behold, he started to understand 
in a very unique way. I don't want people eating off of me. I want people eating with me. I'm going to put the people around me in positions to to elevate and take on these roles. And then I'm going to grow and control every aspect of my business. Um, and I think it's an iteration of what Michael Jordan did. Michael Jordan had a lot of brand partnerships, but LeBron really is the, the, the blueprint of how to take control. His, his One of his best friends runs the sports agency. He has a marketing wing. He has a production company. He got out of his McDonald's deal, you know, bought into a franchise deal. Now he has his, his liquor company. He did the Beats deal. Like this is literally the blueprint that all these other guys are seeing now and saying, wow, I can have that same power. You know, there, it gets tricky sometimes because some people don't understand that not everyone has the same weight as cachet as a LeBron or a Cristiano Ronaldo. And they want those same type of deals and are surprised they don't get them because not every athlete has that type of power and cachet. But what LeBron has done is just, you know, and regardless of what you think about him as a basketball player, whether you like him, I or think you, he's incredible. Whether you don't like him or don't like him as a I person, love him. that's great. I'm glad that we have that context. Evaluate somebody based on what they've accomplished. And when you do that and you take the personal out of it, you find yourself learning a lot more and respecting people a lot more. Completely agree, man. And, and I think one other interesting fact is LeBron has been able to surround himself with people that he trusts. Um, and that, that trust him, right? Going back to what you used to do or in kind of what you're doing now a little bit, like he was able to put Rich Paul in a position of power. Now, Rich Paul's the, I don't know, I would say the the most well-known NBA agent, right? I would, yeah. I, would you know, I don't think that I'm going the out of stretch. Powerful. He's the most powerful. And NBA. the most powerful. That's yeah. the other one I would say. He's also one of the most powerful. So he is, uh, he is in this position. I'm sure he worked extremely hard and that's why LeBron saw but there's many people who would put their friend in a position of power and their friend would probably suck at that job. And it's a problem. And it gets very – and that, that is the, the other side that unfortunately doesn't get talked about as much because it's not as fun to talk about. But there is that aspect of it too. Yeah, and, and the back, interesting part of the backstory is that he, did, he helped these guys develop first. Before he fired his agents – you know, Maverick Carter went and did and worked at Nike directly under under uh, Lynn Merritt, right? Like, and so it wasn't like he just threw these guys to the wolves. They learned. He didn't just hand people who were unprepared because that's also what happens that's unfortunate with a lot of athletes is they put people around them in positions that they are not prepared for and not ready to handle. And so, and then when they fail, everyone's saying, oh, it was the entourage, oh, it was this. But it's like, no, it's like when you are the CEO of a company, LeBron understood that and some of the other athletes who've done this well, I think Kevin Durant has done a phenomenal job, doesn't get quite as much credit as LeBron, um, has done a phenomenal job as well. And Jay-Z in the music space has done this done this as well um understanding that you need capable friends <laughs> not just friends but you need capable friends and family you know and i found this a lot where somebody's dad will say hey uh, my son's about to be in the nfl i'm going to be his marketing agent you've never you don't understand anything about marketing you don't understand anything about brands you don't understand how corporation sponsorships work and then you jump in just because you have a relationship and you do a disservice and you could taint your 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 son son's relationship with sponsors and, and marketing for the rest of their careers because once you have a bad reputation people don't want to work with you anymore it it makes it very difficult right your word your reputation those are those are some things that it trust very hard uh very hard to gain very easy to lose uh, which yeah. is very, which is very important and, and v this has been an awesome conversation so far i want to make sure that we do get to the the last so you have you're doing a bunch of stuff so i want to make yeah. sure we touch upon all of it we're already 40 minutes in it feels like it's only been 10 so yeah. i really appreciate the time today man and so now i'm curious now you're kind of sitting on the brand side right before you were working with the athletes you were throwing the events you were getting the brands to come to you kind of that pull hey look what i have look at this shiny toy over here come on over here now working with Lasso, you're the director of their partnerships, and obviously you've had a significant experience in the partnership realm as, as we've kind of just gone over for the last few minutes. Why did you want to switch to the other side of the table? Why did you want to be on this side and why Lasso? A few different things started happening. First of all, as, I, as I've gotten older, I feel like every experience that I've had and every moment in time, you have to know when it's time to move on to like the next challenge, right? And... 
a couple different things um, have have happened. Um, one, just the full on awareness that if I'm not going to be an agent, if I'm not gonna, if I'm not gonna like go deep into this space in a way that I'm not comfortable going in and competing with people I'm not comfortable competing with, how then can I utilize this network and this talent and the skill set in a meaningful way? And kind of as I was going through that journey, I always say that, you know, the opportunity gets presented to you um, how and when it's supposed to be presented to you. It was like an iteration. The work that I did at Ohio State um, and with was really the final iteration or the final step in my process of understanding the full scope of the sports business and the entertainment business um, to then say, you know what, though, I don't want to be dependent anymore on an athlete's brand, a school's brand, a team's brand. I can't control the behavior and the things that people I've been through a lot. I've dealt with a lot. I've managed a lot. And it was like, you know what, it's time for me to do something where I don't have that role of like a, a management or dependency on what someone else does or doesn't do. Right. Um, and so when that happened, you know, we started this podcast, uh, me and the original co-host, co I got connected to Partha um, through a mutual friend, heard his story. He was kind of in the process much earlier, like we're than I was. And there was just so much connectivity there. Naturally, we had a pre-call uh, his parents were professors at the business school at Ohio State when I was there. His story was very unique in a sense that he was kind of in this. There are not too many people that look like us. We're from the exact same part of India. Our parents speak the same language. There's like this so such weird like connectivity that this this happened at this point on my journey when this was kind of what I was naturally going through. And then he, the product itself I went in after our, our podcast episode, we stayed connected um, and there's just this natural relationship that grew and I, I bought some of the socks online and I put them on and honestly, as, as, as I'm starting to feel it too, when I play sports and when I move around, I've been having foot pain um, and I put the socks on and the foot pain went away, you know, and I had a, 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 a cousin who bought the socks um, and their their foot was sprained and the sock allowed them to walk again you know with the sprain so i saw the product the functional benefit of the product and i said okay then i saw the angle here which is you have to get to really make a product like this successful you have to get high performance athletes high visibility people advocating for the brand and i also saw that there was an infrastructure in place with this business where he had built a, a support system of all the elements where I wouldn't be kind of a lone ranger. I could do my job and do what I was good at. And there are other people to kind of bridge the gaps that I wasn't able to fill. So that's really it. I decided to invest in the, in the company um, and then decided to take on this heat. Part that kind of convinced me because I'm not really someone who wants to have a title or a role. I like to kind of operate, <laughs> to, for lack of a better comparison, I do kind of like to operate in the shadows like a William Wesley um, does. But it was just the right opportunity, the right product. I felt like the mission was right. And I also felt like the skill set and the network that I had was perfectly suited um, to help take this product to where it, where it needs to be, which I feel like it's a product that everybody, every adult um, and everybody who, who has any physical strain uh, should put on their feet. Yeah, I have uh, two pairs of the socks and they're absolutely incredible. Uh, I love them both and um, I need to buy more because I only can wear them two times a week. So, uh, or just do way more laundry, which is kind of unnecessary. So yeah, no, I think the, the, the product is incredible. It is it is so interesting when wearing it. Again, anybody out there, if you haven't, please, lassogear.com, if I'm not mistaken. Check out, check, just check them out. They are just absolutely incredible. So with your, with your background, as you said, having the connection and in the, in the, in the, the, the access, again, to these incredible athletes, wh what are some of the things that you start to implement? What are some of the things that you start doing immediately to start taking advantage right now you're an investor in the company so the better the company does hey man the better you do yeah are you are you just blasting all the people that you've ever met with that hey get a pair of these socks like how because you seem like a very strategic guy so i'm curious what is 
what are, what are some of the things that you started to do? What were some of the foundations that you started to lay to make sure that this is getting to the right people at the right time in the right place? Yeah, it's so funny that you said just blasting it out. If you are not strategic and you, are, you don't have a strategy in place, you can really get lost in these worlds of influencer marketing and, and just thinking that everybody has value. Like the most important thing for me is understanding that just getting someone to, to wear a pair of socks is not the solution. What we're trying to do is get people to actually like our product. And so that's the first thing, right? It's like, if, if you don't like the product and you don't feel like it's a difference, then it doesn't matter how big your following is or how much influence, you're probably not the right endorser for us. That's just the authenticity piece. Also in the conversation with athletes is, is understanding their psychology. They really are looking for something that can give them a competitive edge. And most injuries in sports are lower lower extremity, foot and ankle injuries. So this is this is a product through testing, um, shown to, to reduce your ankle rolls and sprains by up to 70%, support your key ligaments, no other sock. These are actually patents, um, that, that patented technology in the socks that actually offer a real functional and therapeutic benefit. Um, so for me, it's, it's easy because I understand that this is what I truly feel like every athlete should be wearing these socks, right? Because I do care. I've seen how an injury has, has taken somebody's career and livelihood away. Anything that can give you an edge and protect you from that injury, people are going to buy into. Now, the truth is that so many people sell snake oil and say it. The only way it's, it's understanding that this is an organic process that we can't rush the process and that we truly have to like gain this authentic organic trust in our product whether it's one athlete at a time or one one trainer at a time um, but those are kind of those are the things and then strategically what I think about is who are the people that actually versus just looking at the athlete themselves um, you know not giving too much away but just understanding that sometimes the athlete themselves isn't the best person to have. It might be somebody else in the in the ecosystem that's a person that they trust um, that should be the person that you have become an advocate of the product first, right? And then also thinking through the partnerships from a, a standpoint of if we can find people of influence who authentically believe in our product and we don't need to to twist their arms to 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 uh, to promote the product or incentivize them with money then we actually don't have any paid endorsers we do not pay any athlete they are either uh, they are either investors or they we give them free product that's where all of our advocacy comes from we don't we're not even at the phase right now that we can compete with a Nike and just throw a million dollars for an endorsement deal but I think that's the beauty in growing a real product when there is that benefit, you can you can do it organically. And the thing is, you have to exercise patience. You have to exercise um, <clears throat> a lot of ability to hear no, because you do hear a lot of no's. But just kind of trust the process and go through the journey. When you when you have a product, you know, and, and I give all the credit in the world to Partha, and he deserves all the accolades that he's received for creating this great product. But more so, in the way that he's approaching and thinking about medical equipment and medical devices to make them more functional, make them more of an everyday piece of our lives. You know, musculoskeletal health is going to continue to be a driving force. Amazon's investing in this heavily um, as well. But the idea of a changing shift in even our culture as human beings to understand that we have to take better care of our of our bodies. Like, what do every doctor tell? To, does what do they tell you? You know your habits are more important preventative health is more important once the problem is there yeah we can treat it but the most important thing you can do is to create habits in which you prevent those things from happening and that's that's really you know what this what this what this business is about and what everyone that's here is about is the mission and i think when you have that it becomes a lot easier to sell whatever it is that you're selling when you're not really thinking about it through the perspective of a sales lens. It has to be difficult, though. 
right? Because you're clearly very passionate about the product. Again, I've used it. They're absolutely incredible. I love them. I've told all my friends to buy them. Have any of them bought them yet? No. But that just means I guess I'll buy them a pair for Christmas. Like that's the easiest. Like I, I, that's how much I believe in the product and how much. Like I, I don't. I'm not the most active person on planet Earth, but I'm walking multiple miles a day. I'm you know playing tennis with my wife. Like we're doing little things just to continue to you know, object in motion, stage in motion. And I think it's really important, right? I have some friends that play soccer. I have some friends that have had chronic ankle injuries for years. And your ankle is connected to your shin bone, and your shin bone's connected to your knee, and your knee's connected to, you know, right? It's that whole, it's, it's a little nursery rhyme, but at the same time, everything is connected. And I think that's the important part, right? You have ankle injuries, your back's going to start hurting. Like, people don't put two and two together when it comes to that, because then you start compensating, and then you start doing things wrong, and then you get into the habit of doing things wrong, and that's where even more problems come through. So I think, I completely agree with you on the product. I think it's incredible, and I think it has to be so frustrating. So frustrating, though, to go through that and to exercise that amount of patience, knowing full well, like, the science is here. We all love believing the science, right? The science is here. Why are you not taking advantage of the product? Yeah, I think it's that's where the, the, the psychological makeup of all of the failures that I've had, all of the successes I've had, to understand that everything is just a step in the process. If you truly believe in something, you are your will is going to be tested. The universe is going to test you in terms of whether or not it's going to be accepted, to rather test your character to see whether this is truly part of your vision, if this is something you truly believe in. And those challenges, you know, quite frankly, like once you learn that, it, they, it becomes a little bit more fun. I like when the chips are stacked. It's like any athlete, right? You like it when the chips are stacked against you. And the reality of what we're dealing with with Lasso is that, the, quite frankly, how do you overcome the fact for the entire existence of of humanity socks have been taken for granted even the wealthiest people they go to walmart and buy the six dollar pair of socks how do you take into account the fact that our feet carry our weight they literally carry us everywhere that we go every day yet they are taken for granted. So there's a psychological barrier that you have to overcome. But once you understand why that barrier exists and you realize that it's not your fault, but your challenge is to continue to educate, continue to advocate, continue to put socks on people's feet and continue to create a legion of people of that start telling the story for you. You know, most of our sales come from people like you who've tried the socks and tell other people they need to to wear them because it is a challenge, right? Like almost every, even my friends who have the means and the disposable income to get them to understand, hey, why should I buy a $30 pair of socks? Once they put the socks on and they wear them, they're like, oh, I get it now, I get it. And then there's also like, you have to give them comparables, right? Like a pair of Nike Elite socks costs $26, a pair of Bomba socks cost $28 in the marketplace. So there is, there is a market of people who do pay and none, neither of those products, you know, no knock on them, no knock on any of these brands, but none of them offer the true functional benefits that our product offers. And from a price comparable standpoint to the elite products in the marketplace, we're right in line. There are socks that are more expensive than ours, right? So it's like, <clears throat> understanding and there's value we, we had to create this technology it didn't just happen our socks are more expensive to create they are more expensive to promote so the truth of, of any marketing is understanding that if you want to look at this and say i need to capture the entire marketplace then you're going to be frustrated all the time but you know that whole principle of capturing your first thousand customers and those thousand customers leading to ten thousand customers we don't want the entire marketplace. We want people who really do care about their health, that want to live active lifestyles, that want to reduce the pain that they deal, care about their preventative health. Those people will understand the value of investing in our product. It's going to take time. Finding those people is difficult. You know, it's not too many people live a healthy lifestyle. That's just the reality of the world we live in. But it's a, it's a welcome challenge for us because we know um, that we can make a meaningful difference. And <clears throat> the socks are intentionally where we started. We we are we have the, the the patents cover every aspect of the body. We have knee sleeves, arm sleeves, 
compression shorts, compression shirts. You know, we don't, we really do think that musculoskeletal health is something that people will value. And the people that value it are the people that we want. We want passionate, real people. We're not trying, you know, Patagonia is a great brand example. You know, we are trying to become the Patagonia of socks or Tesla of socks. You know what I mean? Where it is for the people who really care and who are really passionate about these things. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, but if you're everything to everyone, you're nothing to nobody. And yes. that's a problem. So yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I do have a couple pairs of Bomba socks. They are very comfortable. I don't understand why they cost so much money, though. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I do not understand it. But whatever they're doing marketing-wise, if you guys aren't studying that to the T, which I'm sure you are, like, it is so confusing to me why they're so successful. Are they comfortable? Absolutely. Are they $30 a pair comfortable? Absolutely not. Like, I don't think so at all. Personally, I still wear them all the time, and I still really enjoy them, and I'm very grateful that I got them. But, like, yeah, once I found out how expensive they were, I was like, I would not have asked for these for Christmas if I knew that a four-pack was 80 bucks or whatever it was. So I think, you know, where you guys are sitting and where, you're, where, where you guys are, are positioned in the market, again, going after that Nike elite person, going after the people that are on their feet all day, right? Waiters and waitresses. Yep. I was a waiter. You know how many, I stood on my feet for eight hours. If I knew these socks existed, do you think I would have bought a couple pairs of them? Yeah, I think so. If it made my feet feel that much better after an eight-hour shift, right? There's enough people out there that I totally agree with you. Yeah. Anything yeah. between you and the floor. Yeah. Between the metal, you and the and floor because the floor is really hard. If you've been through an injury and you see how much medical compression socks start at, they start at about $60. So these are priced at like half the pr entry point of what most compression medical-grade socks uh, come in. At. And that was our whole goal. How do we make this – um, affordable enough that people can make this a daily a daily use and then you also I don't know if you've ever been through an injury of had to wear compression socks they're not comfortable they're not things that you can wear every day they, they slide up and down those and so the, the the product here is like why not make it something that you can wear all day every day um, to prevent some of these issues and also pr how do we price it at a point where you know you, you it makes sense, but isn't gouging and isn't greedy. I love that. I really appreciate that, V. That's a pretty solid. Uh, again, if you want to learn more about Lasso, go back a couple episodes. Partha was on the show not too long ago. The last thing, V, I know we're, we're running up against time here. I just want to talk about, I mean, you, you, you have a podcast. You're now yeah. a guest on another podcast, so we have to obviously talk about your podcast. So you have the Pilot okay. Boys podcast. You're running it with Partha. Tell me a little bit about the show. Yeah, it's kind of uh, so the Pilot Boys, kind of the the name. It's it's what I what I kind of attune our lifestyle to, which is someone who truly is the the captain of their own destiny, um, the pilot per se of your own life, right? And taking control um, of of it and being you, um, and and through that like that mantra or that mentality, we created a podcast that wants to highlight you know, what goes into having that mentality. You know, people are going through a lot in terms of trying to find their identity. We talked a little bit earlier about how to break down your ego, how to build a network, you know, and hearing stories in real time from our network, the people that we know, um, as well as tapping into cultural topics that matter to people, politics, sports, business, and, and approaching them from this lens of understanding and breaking them down without necessarily being controversial i think that's kind of a big part of our platform is creating real conversation um versus just being polarizing versus you know very much like what you do with your podcast um you know and, and just trying to build a, a community of people with this mindset of like look i control my own life i I can humble my ego. There's so much that, that I can learn, and I'm going to go on this journey and, and, and live a fulfilled life, I think. That's kind of the goal. I mean, it sounds pretty pretty big, but there's no point in doing something if, you're, if your goals aren't big. Couldn't agree more, man. A lot of that stuff definitely aligns. Obviously, you've been on the show for about an hour now, yep. uh, so you can kind of tell the things that I'm trying to go after. It's more visible or more, more specific to the lane of sports. How do people get into this? area of work right because it's such a specific area so many people want to be in it the demand is extremely high the supply is even higher 
and the opportunity to get in, I always like talking to people who have unique stories and are doing different things like you are to make sure that they're working in this place that they love so much. So I appreciate the explanation on the show. Um, v, where can we learn a little bit more about you? Where can we learn more about Lasso? Give us all the socials, everything you want people to fo- follow, websites, all that stuff. Yeah, my personal handle is at Pilot Boy V. Uh, the podcast is at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Um, also, you can find us on Apple and Spotify by searching Pilot Boys uh, Podcast as well. Um, and Lasso, you can find Lasso um, at lassogear.com is the website. And also our social handles are at Lasso Gear uh, as well. So definitely, definitely tap in. Um, appreciate you having me on the show, man. Uh, the conversation was great. Um, and, and looking forward to hopefully having you, maybe having you on our show. Hey, man, let me come on. I, I, I love being a guest on these things, too. But no, V, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you and everyone for listening for your time. Time is the only thing we don't get more of, so I appreciate you guys giving me just a little bit of yours. Uh, make sure to go check out Lasso. I cannot say better things about it. The socks have been absolutely incredible. V and Partha, both coming on the show, both have been incredible, fun episodes for myself and hopefully everyone out there listening. So other than that, that's all I got, man. V, thank you so much one more time. Really appreciate it. and hope, hope everyone has a great day. Bye, everybody. Take care.